Hung, welcome to Real Vision. Thank you, Ash. Happy to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm very excited to talk about Tendermint. This is a slightly confusing series of words uh, for people who may not be uh, terribly familiar with the details of what you do. Tendermint, Cosmos, Atoms, uh, Gravity Dex, all of these concepts that we're going to untangle here today. So give us a little bit, uh, so you're the CEO of Tendermint, but give us the 50,000 foot overview uh, of Tendermint and its relationship to Cosmo. Sure, happy to explain. All right, so Cosmos is not just one blockchain, but it's actually a large ecosystem of blockchains. There's over 250 blockchain projects built with Cosmos, and uh, together they're valued over USD 60 billion. It's actually the second biggest, largest crypto ecosystem following Ethereum. So Cosmos is the broader ecosystem uh, where all of these projects reside. And tell us a little bit about Tendermint. Sure. At Tendermint, we work on the Internet of Blockchains, which is also Cosmos. Uh, Tendermint was the progenitor of Cosmos. The original co-founders, Jay Kwan and Ethan Buckman, um, got together in you know, 2014, 2015, to start building out this Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus protocol. Um, in as many words, it's a much more environmentally friendly and sustainable way to create new blocks on blockchain compared to you know, what was popular at the time, which is Bitcoin. And even back then, Ethereum was barely on anyone's radar. So we saw you know, seven years ago, that the you know electricity usage and carbon footprint of proof of work blockchains like Bitcoin would grow to to astronomical heights that we see today, and we started working on a solution not long ago. So this Tendermint Core Protocol, originally we shopped it out to institutions and and companies who might want you know fast and efficient blockchains, uh, enterprise blockchain as it were. Uh, but after about a year of, of looking around trying to do sales, it was too early. And in fact, no one wanted an enterprise blockchain back then. Uh, and even today, I think enterprise blockchain is sort of um, something that's sort of fallen behind compared to all the innovation in public blockchains. So in 2016, the idea of Cosmos was born, right? Uh, over time, you know, new blockchain projects were spinning up. Uh, and even in 2016, there were, there were probably thousands of projects, many of which forked off of Bitcoin. And the idea of Cosmos is one platform to connect them all one, you know, one protocol that can bridge everything together and establish this internet of blockchains that we have with the, the internet of websites and web apps today. We were talking a little bit off air about the relationship between Atom and Cosmos. Uh, Atom was the initial fundraising token for the Cosmos uh, network. Did I get that right? That's correct. So the Atom token, which, you know, um, was created in 2019, um, was issued to the the people who fundraised the Cosmos ecosystem in 2017. So what is it that Cosmos does uh, that is different from Ethereum? How is the functionality similar uh, and how, where do the two depart? Yeah, so Cosmos is not a competitor to Ethereum. Cosmos will bridge to Ethereum like it bridges to every other ecosystem. Um, Cosmos is the idea that we're going to live in a future where you know activity a lot of human activities conducted through blockchain and values transferred across blockchain. And Cosmos is a way to connect them all together. So if you want me to explain the differences between Cosmos and Ethereum, um, for developers, um, it's a little bit more straightforward. So in Ethereum land, 
developers write smart contracts in a language called Solidity, and they deploy them to the Ethereum blockchain, right? So in the Cosmos world, that can still happen. There is in fact still smart contracts in Cosmos. Developers can write smart contracts and deploy them to a Cosmos blockchain. But what you're also able to do is you're able to launch your very own blockchain. So in fact, you can launch your own blockchain similar to Ethereum in Cosmos, and then connect that blockchain together to the Cosmos hub. So in many ways, the easiest way to explain it is that Cosmos is a layer zero, while Ethereum is a layer one, if you know, you're familiar with those terms. So for people who are not on the tech side, what is the advantage of this interoperability between chains? It's something that we're hearing about increasingly, but what ultimate functionality can it deliver to users and how can it actually improve the experience? Yeah, so the reason why you want to communicate assets across blockchains is one you know, about scalability. So we believe that no matter how much throughput your blockchain has, at some point you're going to reach a limit, right? There, there is so much data that is transferred across the world right now on the internet and potentially even off the internet. Uh, you can imagine a country, let's pick a country out of the air, like let's say India, right? You know, how many transactions are done in India on a daily basis? Um, probably billions of transactions, billions plus. And we don't think it's logical for, you know, every single transaction, you know, ever recorded in the world to exist on one blockchain. Um, that's, that's very much unscalable and it costs a lot of transaction fees as we're finding out on Ethereum, right? Um, especially as the, the height of the, the bear cycle earlier this year, you know, it costs hundreds of dollars to, to do swaps and, you know, even $50, $60 to do a transfer. And that's because you're relying on you know, one database, one shared ledger across the entire world. So in a world with multiple blockchains, you know, um, a group of developers in Ethiopia and a group of developers in Japan, you know, they would each have their own blockchain to do whatever they want with, and they wouldn't have to pay fees to each other just for maintaining that. So we believe that most activity happens you know, in localized areas or in localized industries. Um, you know, some industries are worldwide, but some some of their work only touches, you know, a small number of companies around the world. So what we believe is that, you know, um, a world of multiple chains allows corporations, organizations, teams, countries, et cetera, um, resolve all the transactions they need to. And when they need to go to the global level, right, there are higher level settlement layers they can, they can do larger transactions on. Uh, yeah. One of those settlement layers might be the Cosmos Hub which uh, is secured by the Atom token. So one of the things that I mentioned, I think at the beginning of the show is IBC protocol, uh, which is the protocol that's used for these cross-chain communications. And this isn't just a Cosmos standard. It's also used with other cross-chain products, uh, projects like, uh, like Polkadot, for example. Yeah, so the IBC protocol is an innovation from Cosmos. It's really the, the piece that fits all of Cosmos together. Um, it was designed started in 2017 and uh, you know, full work began in 2019 with implementation um, finalizing in 2020. And early this year, it launched on the Cosmos Hub, the very first blockchain to enable IBC. And today there are seven, I believe today is actually eight blockchains with IBC enabled, which allows the users of all these eight blockchains to permissionlessly transfer tokens from one chain to another chain without any can you give us an example of uh, what that might look like and what circumstance uh, that might be desirable in from a business use case? 
Sure. So the best way to explain it is, is with a metaphor. Um, if you imagine blockchains as cities and roads as IBC, right? So you're going to have goods. Let's say you, you live in a town that, that mines for tin, right? Um, obviously, you know, the, the, the demand for tin is not very high in your town because everyone has like basically all they can get for cheap prices, but you're going to want to send it to, you know, a larger, um, a larger trading center. Uh, which could be the Cosmos hub, right? To, to exchange your tin for something else. So that's the purpose of IBC to allow the transfer data to places where, you know, the demand is higher. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship between Tendermint and Cosmos. I know you've used the metaphor before uh, that as consensus is to Ethereum, Tendermint is to Cosmos. Tell us a little bit more about what that means. Sure. So Tendermint does many things, but its primary goal is to ensure the, the success of the Cosmos ecosystem. Right. And by the success of the Cosmos ecosystem, we really refer to the success of crypto as one interconnected network. You know, imagine being able to send tokens from any chain to any other chain. That's really what we're here for at Tendermint. Um, but how do we get there? Right. It's it's very hard to get from a world where every blockchain, you know, has its own token. And in a world where we all use centralized exchanges like Coinbase and Binance, et cetera, you know, to exchange tokens and you know, to even you know get your fiat into the system and exchange it for tokens. So we're trying to build a world where all chains connect to each other, you know, and no matter which way you enter into the ecosystem, um, you're able to swap it for any other token that's connected. Uh, so we have three primary products um, that assist in this. So the first one that I'd like to highlight is the Gravity Dex protocol. So this is actually launching in a couple of weeks. It's June 28th right now. and uh, Based on the, the voting results that's happened so far, um, I believe that the community will enable the Gravity Dex protocol on June, no wait, July 12th. So we should see that go live in a couple of weeks. That's super exciting, uh, but what is it, right? So the Gravity Dex protocol is a, uh, it's an exchange protocol. Uh, if you know about Uniswap, it's similar to Uniswap, uh, but uh, the biggest difference between Uniswap and Gravity Dex is that Gravity Dex supports cross-chain tokens, right? Well, on Uniswap, you trade tokens that are on Ethereum. With Gravity Dex, you trade any token that can be sent across IBC to the Cosmos hub where the Gravity Dex is located. So give us some examples of token exchanges that would be possible on Gravity Dex that would not be possible, uh, for example, on SushiSwap or Uniswap. Sure. So right now, not right now, but once it launches, right, in a couple of weeks, Gravidex will allow you to swap between eight different tokens to begin with, right? Only eight different chains have enabled IBC. Some of them include, um, let me think here, uh, Osmosis, IrisNet, Regen Network, Persistence, Akash, um, Sentinel, Crypto.com. I'm probably missing one or two there. But uh, those are the initial chains you'll be able to swap tokens for. And in fact, most of those tokens you're not able to buy at all. Um, they're very difficult to buy because um, they aren't issued on, on major exchanges, right? And they're also impossible to buy on Uniswap because all of these tokens exist on Cosmos blockchains. So basically, this is the beginning uh, for, of the era in which any chain uh, or protocol that has enabled IBC can effectively be interchangeable with any other protocol through this sort of solution. 
That's right. So to explain a little bit further, there are only eight chains that have IBC enabled, but there's over 250 projects built using Cosmos technology. You can consider them 250 different Cosmos blockchains that will over time all enable IBC and enable a large market on the Gravity Dex. So I know this may sound uh, relatively abstract uh, to folks now, and it's obviously something where we're very early. Uh, Gravity Dex hasn't yet gone live. There are only eight coins that can be exchanged. But give us a sense, Pong, of what the vision is for where we might be with IBC uh, and Tendermint and Cosmos, say, one, three, five years in the future. What does the vision look like? Yeah, so the vision is the future of millions of blockchains. I think this feature is inevitable. Um, there is just so much innovation happening in crypto as a whole right now. And there are more and more developers that learn about crypto and build crypto projects every single day. Uh, what you're noticing right now during this bull cycle is that people are finding Ethereum to be very expensive. So there are very, very many different chains, you know, hoping to capitalize on this opportunity and build an improvement on Ethereum, build, you know, so-called Ethereum killers. Um, that's, that's a starting point. But there are, in fact, very many industry-specific blockchains that need to be built, actually, you know, to, to serve particular markets, particular geographical markets, particular industries, you know, um, specialized services across the world that could all benefit from distributed ledger technology. So in a future with millions of blockchains, um, obviously, you can use centralized exchanges to exchange tokens. But um, it goes against the, the thesis of crypto you know, in the first place, which is decentralization, um, trustlessness, uh, and being able to do things without relying on central points of failure, right? As we've seen over the years, um, centralized exchanges are prone to failure, you know, starting with, you know, in 2011 with the Mt. Gox exchange getting hacked and a significant portion of all Bitcoin actually being, being lost through that hack. So what we're building here with Cosmos is, you know, the right way to do crypto at scale. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, obviously contrasting uh, Cosmos against, for example, Bitcoin, uh, people who are in the Bitcoin camp, so to speak, uh, believe that the fact that it is sort of a, a unitary, uh, one and only uh, store of value for the digital age, think that that's a significant uh, benefit uh, for the Bitcoin space and for the Bitcoin community. Yeah. So. Cosmos is not um, against any particular crypto ecosystem. Uh, I love Bitcoin, I love Ethereum, and I love most of crypto, to be honest. Um, and I mentioned earlier about how there's 250 Cosmos projects, right? And, there, and there's eight projects connected via IBC. Uh, you might ask the question, you know, why would you invest in this ecosystem over Ethereum, which does have, you know, tens of thousands of coins already, uh, all tradable on exchanges on Ethereum. Um, and we have upcoming solutions to that in Cosmos. Uh, an upcoming feature coming to the Cosmos Hub is not developed by us, but developed by a team called Althea. It's called the Gravity Bridge. So this is similar to IBC. It's another sort of cross-chain communication protocol. But what this one does is it bridges Ethereum-style blockchains to Cosmos. So what is an Ethereum-style blockchain? Um, Ethereum has a lot of developers, right? Who write smart contracts using the language called Solidity. And these smart contracts are executed on an environment called the Ethereum virtual machine. So Ethereum style blockchains are blockchains that support 
the Ethereum virtual machine or the EVM. Uh, these actually include quite a number of ones you may have heard of already. So that includes Ethereum, right, which supports EVM. That includes Binance Smart Chain, which also supports the EVM. Um, but it also includes Polygon, Matic. If you've heard of Polygon, that's you know another chain that supports the EVM. Also Phantom and uh, Anyway, there's quite a number of chains that do support the EVM, and they're all trying to capitalize on the opportunity that Ethereum is providing by being sort of expensive to use, uh, by supporting the exact same tools that developers love. Does that make sense? So yeah. by having IBC to connect all Cosmos blockchains and having the Gravity Bridge to create two-way connections to all Ethereum-style blockchains, that by itself actually uh, accounts for, I would expect, at least 80% of the entire set of blockchains in existence. Um, yeah, we're just going after the low hanging fruit first, but over time, you know, we expect protocols, not even all built by us to bridge all networks together in, in some way. We also said something that I think is really crucial and even people who are maybe uh, not as deeply involved in the space as you are obviously uh, will resonate with them, which is this idea that obviously gas fees on Ethereum have been a significant challenge uh, for some time now, uh, because as you said, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on this, uh, obviously Ethereum uh, is a single network, uh, it's a single blockchain, and as a consequence, the congestion can really increase very dramatically, which has a real cost for end users. Yeah, so Cosmos blockchains and the Cosmos hub, right, secured by the Atom, are proof-of-stake blockchains, which means they generally run on a far fewer set of nodes than a blockchain like Ethereum. Right. So Ethereum right now can only handle about 30 transactions per second, while you know a typical Cosmos blockchain can handle um, at least two, two to three thousand per second. Right. That's about hundred times better. And um, however, it's not the biggest selling point about Cosmos. In fact, you're going to find many other blockchain frameworks with you know better TPS than Cosmos, and maybe even faster transaction times because Cosmos has a seven second transaction time. Um, but Cosmos is not really competing on this front. Yes, it is much better you know, than Ethereum. Um, however, the innovation of IBC, right, the ability to connect all chains together, allows for a very simple scaling solution, which is you know, the moment your blockchain gets full or congested, you spin up a clone of your blockchain and you split the traffic into two chains. Right? And if you fill up those two chains, you split it into three chains or four chains or you know, eight chains, 16 chains, et cetera however you want to scale your, your whole network. And then you would settle those transactions maybe every day or so uh, on another network. You know, you mentioned uh, the environmental implications of some other chains. Uh, Cosmos is a proof of stake chain. Talk a little bit about um, the power consumption. Um, obviously something that's very important as people think about ESG goals uh, and other similar types of initiatives. Yeah, so like other proof of stake blockchains, and other proof-of-stake blockchain ecosystems, um, Cosmos chains are incredibly efficient. In fact, um, five to six magnitudes more efficient than Ethereum and Bitcoin. Uh, so what this means is that a blockchain like the Cosmos hub uh, that's secured by the Atom um, uses about as much energy as one one-hundredth of Ethereum. So in fact, uh, a blockchain like the Cosmos hub, which is currently valued at around 3 billion or so in total market cap, um, theoretically, there can be 100,000 copies of that. And if you do you know, 100,000 times 3 billion, you get a, a pretty high number. 
in the quadrillions, I think. And that is the sort of value that can be secured as compared to Ethereum using the same sort of environmental footprint. So it's quite a bit better, um, but it's nothing you know that outshines other proof of stake blockchains. Uh, again, being able to communicate tokens across chains is the biggest value proposition of Cosmos. We've talked quite a bit about Gravity Dex. Tell us about some of the other projects you're building on Tendermint. Yeah, so at Tendermint, we care a lot about developer experience and user experience, which is why you know we've been needing this Dex for quite some time, right? First of all, it's a great example to the greater crypto ecosystem of what's possible with IBC, right? What's crossable with cross-chain token transfers? Um, the most obvious thing is the ability to exchange them, you know. But beyond that, you know, what what else is needed? Um, so Gravity Dex is just a protocol. It doesn't have a UI attached to it, um, and in fact, there's going to be many, you know, very many different types of UIs that you can build for it. And in some cases, it might even be used without a UI altogether. It can be used as sort of foundational infrastructure for for greater things, right? So. Um, a good example might be Forex, right? Uh, in, in traditional finance, you can use a Forex website or a Forex API to exchange money um, on a variety of websites for a variety of purposes. Uh, and in fact, you use a, a Forex protocol whenever you use your debit card or a credit card when you travel overseas, right? So when you're in Japan buying things for yen, you know, it actually does the calculation for you in the background and exchanges your, your whatever Canadian dollars or USD for yen, and then they charge you a 1% fee on that. So that's where we see Gravity Dex being used. It's not always going to be an interface you use on a website. It can be used to power a whole bunch of other things uh, in the future. So it can effectively become kind of behind the scenes infrastructure for doing things like FX, uh, as well as any other type of interchange that would be enabled uh, through the core protocols themselves that were being exchanged. That, that's right. But given that it's just a protocol, right, how do most people use it? And uh, we expect people who want to directly use the protocol to want some sort of interface for that. So that's the other product we're working on. We haven't announced it yet. We've been hard at work over the past six months building it. And it's, uh, it's a DeFi portal for the the internet of blockchains. So talking about some of the other uh, utilities that are being built, some of the other projects that are being built using Tendermint, uh, what are some of the other use cases that are compelling to you right now? Right, so use cases. Um, anytime you want to do something with crypto that involves lower amounts of value being exchanged. So a good example here is uh, text messages, right? So you would never build some sort of micro blogging platform on Ethereum, right? Because it costs a few dollars with every single transaction you post. Uh, that would be quickly, you know, unscalable. Uh, a lot of people use Twitter today because it is free to post messages and to cost a few dollars per message would quickly change the network to be something else entirely. Maybe some sort of advertising platform instead where, where you pay per transaction. But uh, what's available with Cosmos is the ability to you know, create these sort of lower value um, protocols like, like a chat program or a community um, to allow people to create messages for, for very cheap. Uh, beyond that, there is also you know, some of the examples, sorry, let me restart over. Uh, there are some good examples 
of what Cosmos is being used to build for today. I can go over some of them. So first of all, there's a project called Regen Network. So Regen Network is a blockchain and also a community that is working to um, issue carbon credits entirely on chain because it's such a very specific purpose, right? It doesn't make sense for this to be issued on a platform like Ethereum. And in, in fact, a platform like Ethereum has a very high carbon footprint in the first place. So it's sort of weird to issue, you know, carbon credits on such a, you know, environmentally taxing platform. But the partnership between Regen and Cosmos makes a lot of sense, given that it's, it's so cheap to run this chain on Cosmos. And uh, it also allows them to very easily, you know, issue these to projects that care a lot about the environment, right? So you wouldn't use an Ethereum project and go to an environmentally sustainable foundation and be like, hey, you should use Ethereum, you know, to, to track carbon credits. It makes no sense. So that, that's fairly important. <laughs> Beyond that, there is a project called Akash. This is not specifically DeFi either, but Akash does cloud hosting essentially on-chain. So think of it as a replacement for AWS or DigitalOcean or Google Cloud. Instead of hosting your web apps and web applications on you know, these centralized providers, which can go down at any minute, you can host it on Akash instead, which is distributed over you know, tens of thousands of computers around the world and uh, will prevent your, your application from going down and it's also far cheaper than what some of these providers charge. So these are some really sort of very interesting uh, applications that are almost outside of, I think it's fair to say, uh, some of the things that Ethereum is seeking to do today. Yeah, I really like Ethereum and I like the current direction of innovation on Ethereum, right? Um, it is very much proudly and bullishly all DeFi related activities. And that's just generally what happens when transactions cost so much. Uh, so it encourages a lot of people to, to take their tokens and earn more, right? Through ideas like yield farming and liquidity mining and DeFi in general, right? It's sort of Ethereum's thing. Um, and that's just because every transaction is so expensive. Uh, it naturally optimizes for that. But in Cosmos, when transactions are still so cheap, you know, transactions can cost in, in the millisense and such. And there are even um, projects like Pylons that are working on creating zero fee transactions altogether. Yeah. So how this works is that very similarly to Web 2.0, instead of charging a fee to prevent transaction spam, um, they're using you know, an application similar to you know, Cloudflare today to actually identify spam transactions and block those uh, by encouraging most transactions to go through spam prevention and pay no fee. It's much easier to onboard new users, right? Because you don't, as a new user, let's say who doesn't hold crypto, having to go through the KYC and AML requirements to use an exchange is a big barrier. Uh, but if you had a world with zero fee transactions, you know, people who don't want to go through this verification, you know, people who are under the age of 18 who are playing games, et cetera, are able to actually get into the system, have a crypto wallet, get tokens that they earn through, you know, gaming or, or, or what have you, and participate in the greater Internet of blockchains. Yeah, Cloudflare. Uh, we should point out is uh, an a, uh, an infrastructure web infrastructure company that does things like uh, prevent uh, distributed denial of service attacks. It's basically an infrastructure company uh, that effectively filters traffic uh, today on the traditional web. So a lot of what Cosmos is about is about making crypto uh, easier to use, 
and more available to everyone around the world. Uh, we think that one of the biggest issues today with um, you know, the, the current thinking around crypto and DeFi in general is that it's very, it's very exclusive, right? First of all, the terminology is very difficult to understand. Second of all, it's very expensive to buy in, right? Participating in DeFi and Ethereum requires you to have you know, at least tens of thousands of assets. Otherwise, you're gonna be burning your money on transaction fees constantly that we feel is like very against the original spirit of, of crypto. So at Cosmos, you know, the idea of building sovereign chains yourself, no matter what you're building it for, you know, we've had people reach out who, you know, high school computer science teachers reach out and ask about building a chain for their classroom. And you're able to do that. And they don't have to pay us any fees because Cosmos is a hundred percent free and open source protocol. They can build their own chain in their classroom, you know, as like a three month project and they're able to create a new token and they're able to send it to a DEX like the Gravity DEX and exchange it for a real value like atoms. So this is the future we see that's possible. You know, it's, it's a world where anyone around the world as long as you have an internet connection um, and a little bit of technical knowledge is able to build a new chain, create value and exchange it for, for tokens that are created around all corners of the world for extremely low transaction fees and extremely you know, small carbon footprints. Yeah, one of the things I'm interested in uh, about Gravity Dex is understanding some of the mechanics. It's an order book exchange, uh, I guess, in contradistinction from liquidity pools. Uh, tell us a little bit about that distinction and how it works and why it matters ultimately to the end users who transact on the exchange. Yeah, so Gravity Dex is a order book exchange, but it is also a liquidity pool type exchange at the same time. Uh, the feature that is launching in two weeks is the, um, the swap feature, right? To allow you to instantly swap one token for another. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what those terms are and define them. Tell us a little bit about an order book exchange, which is the traditional mechanism uh, that most people who are familiar with, for example, uh, US equities uh, would know about. But tell us a little bit about an order book exchange and tell us about liquidity pools, how they work and why they're different. Yep. So first of all, an order book exchange, if you've used one, is a way for you to create orders, right? Which is you say you want to buy, you know, X amount of, let's say, um, Canadian dollars for X amount of US dollars, right? And if someone takes you up on the offer, then the order is fulfilled and you get, you know, the Canadian dollars that you asked for. So an order book exchange is a collection of all these orders together in one interface that shows, you know, at every single price of USD to Canadian dollars, um, how many people are buying, how many people are selling. For people who have seen these like sort of order books online, for example, you'd have a series of bids, you'd have a series of asks, uh, and the best prices would get crossed. Uh, you'd get a match and you'd have, you know, you'd have execution. Right. And what's fun for people who are, who are into this sort of trading is that the amount of data that you can gather with the amount of orders that people want to buy and sell for, at, for various prices gives you a decent indicator of the sentiment for a particular asset, right? Uh, if there's a lot of people who want to buy for a high price, then you know generally you would expect the price to go up, and you know in reverse. If there's not a lot of people buying, then of course the sellers would have to continue to to reduce their price. So that's an order book style exchange. Um, a swap type exchange or liquidity pool type exchange operates slightly differently. So instead of orders, you have liquidity pools. And which is provided by token holders. So the Gravity Dex initially will support liquidity pools of two tokens. 
uh, as I mentioned earlier. Can you explain, Pung, a little bit about liquidity pools and how they work? I know it's something that we've covered on Real Vision before, mm-hmm. uh, but it is something that I think for people, especially if they have traditional uh, order book experience, is a little bit hard for them to get their head around. Right. So liquidity pools are created usually by one person and they set the initial price of the the assets that are being swapped. Let's say it's like um, Adam and Eve, right? Because with Gravity Bridge, Ethereum will be available on Gravity Bridge, on Gravity Dex. Um, so what's the price difference between one ETH and one, one Adam right now? I, I don't recall right now. Let's just say ETH is $2,000 and Adam is $10, right? So it's roughly right. um, 200 to one. So when you, as the first person to establish a liquidity pool, you probably want to pick the market price to start with. Nothing else really makes sense. Um, so you would put in one ETH and maybe you put in 200 Atom, right? That creates the initial liquidity pool that has an equal value of $2,000 within each bucket of, of tokens. So you basically deposit at the market price uh, an equal number of each token so that there's liquidity uh, for those two at a given price. That's right. So the moment you, the first person deposits you know, both the ETH and the Atom, the price is established, right? And the price is exactly one ETH equals 200 Atom, right? All right, so the pool is created, which allows people to start trading, right? So the first person who trades um, would be able to trade probably a small fraction of the ETH. And here's here's why. It's because um, liquidity pools allow trading based on a curve. And the more ETH you want to buy, or the more, yeah, let's say the more ETH you want to buy, the more Atom it costs up to an asymptote. So at, if you want to buy all the ETH in a particular pool, it would cost you like an infinite amount of Atoms, right? Which you wouldn't be able to afford. Explain a little bit how that curve works, because those are, those are basically price limits in a sense. There's a concept here called slippage that you'll have to understand as well. So this is how the price changes after you've made the trade. Right, so when you have a pool that's only one ETH to two hundred atom, um, you'll want to trade only a small percentage of ETH, or you only want to trade a very small number of atom, because every trade you make changes the price between the tokens. So let's make because an example. you're depositing and taking out, and therefore right. altering the balance in the liquidity pool. Right. So this is a very rough example. The math is going to be incorrect, but let's say you decided to trade. Um, you decided to buy, right, 0.1 ETH, which is roughly about like $200. And given the price was already established at 1 ETH equals 200 Atom, when you try to buy 0.1 ETH, it's going to charge you, uh, how much? 20? 20 Atom, right? So that's you must have, base, first, yeah, first of all, you need to have 20 Atom in your account, right? So you, you create this trade, you enter in in the form, right? You want 0.1 ETH. And then the price shows it's going to cost 20 atom for you. But what this is also going to show is that there's a slippage in, in the price. So after you conduct this trade, um, or potentially even when you conduct the trade, it, it might cost a little bit more atom than the, the stated price because you are taking away you know, roughly 10% of the liquidity in the pool. If that makes sense. Yeah. There's like some, there's a small level of inefficiency when you make the swap. But beyond that, there's also a fee. Uh, the fee for this, this style of exchange usually is 0.3%. It can be almost any number. Um, so you would have to pay 
20 atom, right? But you also have to pay 0.3% on top of that, which is like, how much is that? 0.6 atom? No way, 0.6 atom. Anyway, it's a little bit more than, than 20 atom you have to pay, right? Due to both slippage and due to the fee of the trade. And this fee goes to the liquidity pool. But also the 20 atom that you put in to get the ETH out also goes to the liquidity pool. So what happens now is you have a liquidity pool with 0.9 ETH and 220 and some change atom, right? And that changes the price of the, of, of the trade for future traders. So now when people go to trade, they're going to find that um, the ETH value is quite a bit higher because there's much less of it, right? There's 10% less ETH and there's also 10% more atom. So you might expect the price of ETH to go up by up to 20%. Now, as that moves away from the market, other people can effectively almost arbitrage that by depositing uh, more ETH to rebalance the pool. Yeah, so as a trader, if you see a price difference here, let's say now it's like you know 240 atom for an ETH, they'll be like, wow, this is really off compared to Coinbase or you know wherever else, whatever else exchange they use. They can quickly buy atoms with their ETH which will give them quite a number of atoms and they can go to a centralized exchange and sell it, right? Um, but also the pool will rebalance itself back. To, it'll gain a little bit more ETH and it'll have a little bit less atoms. So the price will go back to an equilibrium. Okay, Pung. So with that background, explain to us how Gravity Dex has both a liquidity pool element and an order book element. Right. So how do you bridge these two sort of different ways of you know, providing liquidity and, and trading tokens? Well, there's a, there's a very neat way that these are put together. So you have to consider the Gravity Dex as a order book exchange, first and foremost. But right, initially, it doesn't even have that feature. So how does it work? So the way Gravity Dex was developed, right, it considers a swap to be a market order. A swap being just, in this case, uh, a simple exchange between two tokens that are permitted to be traded on uh, the exchange. What it means is that um, a market order allows you to trade assets immediately at the current market price, right? As opposed to a limit order, which is um, something you'd have to wait on, wait for someone to fulfill, right? Uh, let's say you're trying to buy, you're trying to buy ETH again as an atom holder, but you don't want to buy the market price, right? You think that one ETH or two hundred atoms is like way too expensive, so you put in a limit order for um, one one ETH for 180 atom, right? Uh, this is not going to fulfill instantly, right? Because no one wants to make that trade. But the moment the market price reaches one ETH equals 180 atom, then your trade will be fulfilled and you'll get that atom for like a cheap price. So that's, you know, the limit order part of the exchange is what's coming later. But what's coming immediately with the initial launch of Gravity Dex protocol in two weeks is the, the market order element. Okay. So now that we have a little bit of the background on liquidity pools on the one hand and also order books, explain how Gravity Dex has elements of both a liquidity pool and an order book. Right. So the overarching idea of the Gravity Dex protocol is that it is an order book exchange, but we're launching it in phases. So the the final you know full version of Gravity Dex will have both market orders and limit orders, but we're launching with just market orders. And in the Gravity Dex protocol, the way it's developed, a market order is essentially equivalent to a swap. So how this works is, you know, 
market orders in traditional order book exchanges allow you to swap you know, an asset immediately at the current market price, right? So if you see that one ETH is worth 200 Atom, you can go ahead and, and do a swap and you'll instantly get that ETH. That's essentially what you know, swapping is in a, in a liquidity pool type exchange. So what's coming later you know, with um, the V2 version of Gravity Dex is limit orders. Okay. And so with limit orders, you'd have a limit order book, obviously effectively working as a matching engine so that you can basically have people entering uh, bids and asks at varying prices where they want uh, to buy or sell. You can think about this in the in the most uh, simplistic sense of a stock is trading uh, at a hundred bucks. You think uh, that a hundred bucks is too high, but if it dips down to 90, you want to buy at that price. So you put in a buy limit order away from the market at $90. And if the price falls, you get executed there. That's right. So that type of functionality, the limit order book functionality is ultimately uh, going to be coming to the gravity decks. Yep. It's currently being developed right now. It's going to be interesting to see. I think this may be uh, one of, if not the first, uh, hybrid solution with a liquidity pool and a limit order book. Yeah, given the fact that we we feel that Gravity Dex will be sort of a core piece of infrastructure for you know the Internet of Blockchains, and given that it's secured by the Atom, we wanted to provide as many ways as possible, you know, for um, token swaps to occur. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you should mention uh, the word infrastructure, because as we have this conversation, it becomes increasingly clear to me that in many ways, Cosmos, uh, Tendermint, what you guys are working on really is about building a next generation infrastructure to support various services on blockchains, across blockchains, uh, and to do this in a way uh, that hopefully has uh, lower transaction costs, higher throughput, and a more environmentally friendly footprint. That's right. That's what we're doing. And it's taken a long time, right? Like I mentioned before, you know, we, we formed Tendermint in 2014 and it's been seven years. Um, and it's only now in early 2021 that many projects are, are considering themselves multi-chain or they want to create bridges, et cetera. Uh, we've been working on this stuff for a long time and you know, our technology is free for anyone to adopt and use. Uh, we're really here to see the growth of the ecosystem as a whole and not the growth of any particular coin. We, yeah. you know, as a community, the Adam Holder community, you know, has believed in this vision for a very long time, right? Since they participated in the fundraiser um, five years ago in 2017, they've been seeing all this stuff get built and they're hoping to make the Cosmos Hub, right? The Adam blockchain, uh, a very valuable service provider to this, uh, this future of, of a million blockchains. Yeah. Okay. So before your cat jumps on the Roomba and totally steals the show of this video, as we come to the conclusion here, tell us what your final takeaways are for the audience, particularly for people uh, who may not be uh, as technically sophisticated as you are, who are relatively new, hearing some of these concepts for the very first time. What are the core takeaways that you'd like to leave them with? Yeah, so the core takeaway I'd like to leave you know, the audience with here is if you believe in a future you know, where blockchain and crypto is going to take over the entire world, right? Um, you should look into Cosmos because we've been believing in this for, for quite a long time. And we're building the technologies, you know, that are actually some of the most trusted technologies um, in crypto today, right? We have the second biggest crypto ecosystem after Ethereum, and we have the, you know, the sort of most environmentally sustainable and scalable solution, 
you know, we're not here to solve the problems of the next three years. We're here to solve the problems of the next 30 years. And we hope that IBC will become as, you know, as well known as TCP IP is today for the web. Yeah, very well said, very well summed up. Pung, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ash, for having me. Thanks for watching, everyone. Welcome to the end of the video. We know that on average, 85% of you who start a video on Real Vision finish it. That's extraordinary. On Facebook, it would just be 4%. And that's because Real Vision creates the most engaging content in the entire media world. Let us help you grow your business by making video content that really engages your customers. Email us at customvideo at realvision.com.